0: We have uh, some special guests here today. Uh, Not only are my daughter and one of my son-in-laws is here. Hillary and Michael are here. Uh, We're always glad when they're able to come. But also, um, we have, Byron has special friends that are here. Um, Brandon and Alex. Is y'all's last name Weber? Yes, okay. Uh, Why don't y'all stand? Y'all stand so they can see y'all. Sorry, Alex. Yeah. Um, Brandon and Alex have been married about a year, I think. Uh, He's been a youth minister in Mississippi of late. But uh, he and Byron were teammates in Sevilla, Spain or Seville, Spain when Byron was there. And so... uh, these are these are battle buddies they've been to the war and uh... together and so uh... the webbers were i think having to work on some passport things and we're in houston and so they've come for the weekend also and uh... we've had time to spend with them and uh, we did discover that brandon is a lot better bowler than anybody else in the family but anyhow we won't ask him to go bowling again with our family uh, but they are in the process of going back to Seville, spain and so I wanted you to see them and so as Byron talks about them then you will know a face uh, and to pray for them and we appreciate their hearts and uh, uh, anyhow, we're glad y'all are here today. He's been a youth minister and they haven't had, I don't think they've had Sundays off so it's, sometimes it's kind of fun to travel and just get to go to church. Yes. And we plan on having a little church this morning. Um, God has something to say. In the midst of our lives, as we go about our lives and we, uh, we act in certain ways, we have certain thought process, the way we think about life, in the midst of all of that, God has something to say. And the reason God has something to say is because He wants to reveal to us his thoughts and his ways and what Isaiah the prophet said he said his thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways in the midst of our lives where we look at life and we think about life in a certain way, and out of that then we live life, in the midst of that God says, I have something to say to reveal my ways and my thoughts and what truth is and how you are to live. And what Isaiah reveals is many times those are really different thoughts and ways. One of the things consistently through the Scripture that I see that God is revealing about himself and his character is that God wants our complete devotion he wants all of us he wants us to be all in he wants to be our all in all he wants to be our priority and he wants that perspective of life that I am a child of God to be integrated into every area and aspect of our lives. God wants our complete devotion. <laughs> the reason God communicates that to us is because many times we live with this idea that partial obedience is acceptable. Somehow this idea that if I am doing this good thing over here in one area of my life that somehow <laughs> that may make up for some other things I'm doing in my other parts of my life that ex- well, I know aren't exactly right. But... I'm doing this good thing. I don't know. It may be coming to church, (laughs) doing something else. You say, but you know what? I got this area in my life. I'm really, I'm doing a good thing. All the while over here, there may be an area or two that we know aren't right. And somehow we rationalize this idea that partial Obedience is okay. Maybe for us, there's just one little area of disobedience. We may not even consider it a major thing. And we say, you know what, but most of my life is doing the right thing. So, you know, surely God's going to grade on the curve. And yes, there's this one little area. But you know in comparison to the rest of my life, surely the rest of my life and all the good things I do make up for that one little area that I know I'm living in disobedience. In the midst of that kind of thinking and the actions that correspond to that, God has something to say. And what God says consistently through the Scriptures is that He wants our complete devotion. About a month or so ago, we started looking at the Old Testament prophet Haggai. We're going to be in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19 this morning. And in just a minute we're going to start walking through those verses. In Haggai's day God had something to say. And God spoke through the prophet Haggai. And I believe that what I have just said to you is the essence of what God Said through Haggai in the verses that we will look at this morning in Haggai 2 10 through 19. If you are new this morning, have not been here in the last five weeks, uh, real quickly, here's the historical breakdown to Haggai. Um, Basically, 70 years before Haggai because of the sin of god's people king nebuchadnezzar of the babylonians came and destroyed jerusalem the temple and he carried god's people off into captivity in babylon jeremiah prophesied there's going to be seventy years but after seventy years i'm going to bring you back to this place and uh... haggai was one of those that came back with the political leader zerubbabel the religious who was the governor uh, the religious leader Joshua who was the high priest and God said to them, the first thing I want you to do when you go back is I want you to build, rebuild my temple. That was their assignment, that was their mission, there was about, I don't know, 42,000 of them that went back. God engineered circumstances through Cyrus the king of the Medo-Persian Empire to send them back and to finance their trip and the rebuilding of the temple. And they started, but then opposition came. And they stopped doing the very thing that God had sent them there to do. And 14 years have passed of them being consumed by their own lives until God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And God has something to say in the midst of their lives that are consumed with their own lives and basically what he starts in his his prophecies is you know that I've called you to rebuild the temple you need to get busy doing the thing that I've called you to do Um, all of the prophecies of Haggai occur in the year 520 B.C. starting in September We've seen the prophecies that he God gave him in October. Uh, this morning we come to December. Three months since God first spoke through Haggai. And notice in verse ten, I want you to see this, and it's uh, it's, a, it's a rather interesting take, but I've I've already the reason I kind of laid it out first because if we just read these verses you go oh wow this is very Old Testament I don't really get this we generally have more of a New Testament mindset and I wanted you to kind of know what the point was and now I'm going to give you the prophecy the The point being that God wants our complete devotion let's walk slowly through these verses and Well, not too slowly this morning, all right? Verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, okay? So we know that's December. In the second year of Darius, which we know historically is in the year 520, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, and so God speaks through the prophet Haggai. And in verse 11, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying. And I want to stop right there. God says through Haggai, and Haggai speaks to the people, I want you to ask the priest some questions. Now think about this with me. You have... You're in the process of rebuilding the temple. The altar has been set. They have started their worship back, the sacrifice and all that was prescribed in the Old Testament. The priests were the ones uh, who uh, took care of those religious functions in the temple, right? Obviously, there, there are people that are called and they are priests and they are there and they're helping the people with the sacrifices and the things that the Old Testament has prescribed, right? One of the task of the priest according to and you could go back and look at the law Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and then somewhat in Deuteronomy as Moses gives the law a second time one of the functions of the priest was to determine what was clean and what was unclean now let me just describe this to you if someone came and said, I want to give a sacrifice, uh, according to the law, this, then the priest was going to have to inspect that sacrifice to see if it was acceptable to God. Does that make sense? He's kind of a, a screener. It's like, no, come on. You know that that lamb has got a bad leg and the only reason you sacrifice it to God is because you got to put it down tomorrow. Anyhow, I'm sorry, I'm just being a little facetious. But anyhow, it's like, no, 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 no you go get your best. It can't be anything that had a defect in any way. That was one of the functions. There's some really funky things in the Old Testament. And I've, I'm reading my Bible through, so I've... Uh, listen, I'm to Job now. I'm like, hmm, hallelujah, praise God. We're almost to Psalms. I've made it to Leviticus. Many of you have not made it through Leviticus in your commitment to read your Bible through. Many people have died in the book of Leviticus. There's there's some some kind of funky things in there and... You know, it's like if there's, if there's something growing on the side of your house, call the priest. And he's going to have to inspect this, and then you're supposed to wash this, and then seven days later, he's going to have to come back and inspect it. If it's grown, then everybody's got to get out of the house. You know, I mean, there's just like this detailed stuff about mold growing on houses. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Hey, hey, hey. Let's... I, just a lot of stuff. But you know what it was? Here's what it was. The priest was given the responsibility to determine what was clean, what was unclean, what was acceptable to God and what was not acceptable to God. And the reason that was is God says, I have standards of holiness. And the priests were responsible for making judgment calls about those things. And what we focus on this morning is one of their roles is they had to determine what was clean and what was unclean and so we come to verse 12 he says this is what you ask the priest concerning the law if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and with the edge he touches bread or stew wine or oil or any food will it become holy this is what they asked the priest then the priest answered and said no all right I know this is real Old Testament go ask the priest this suppose there is a piece of meat so you've gone and you've made a sacrifice and what the Old Testament law said, when you offered that to God and it was sacrificed on an altar, that it became holy. Jesus talked about this, and but we don't have time to go there this morning. The reason it became holy is because it had been offered to God on the altar. Whatever is placed before God and is already passed inspection of the priest and is offered to God on the altar is holy, not because that meat is holy, but because the altar is holy and God is holy and it's been offered to God. That is holy meat had to be treated in a certain way. And the question of the day was, suppose that meat, which is holy, touches something else. Another, I don't know... So suppose you... I know this is like real Old Testament. You take that home and you've got your meat, but you set it on your plate with the other vegetables and side dishes. Do those, The question is, do those side dishes, because they have touched something that's holy, have they become holy? I know y'all, have, y'all, y'all not even thinking in these terms. Ask the priest this question. What did the priest say? No. Mm-mm. There is a principle that God is teaching Haggai, and he's actually setting them up for the punchline which is about to occur. Suppose you take something holy. Does something become holy because it is in contact with something else that is holy? And the answer is no, because there is a principle there that holiness is only transferred by one step. The meat became holy because it was offered to God and it touched the holy altar. It becomes holy, but just because you take that holy meat and you touch something else with it, that does not make that other thing holy. And you go, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. So where are we going here, preacher? There is a spiritual truth that God is teaching through Haggai about God's standards, and here it is. You gotta get this. This is this is there's a point that's being made. Just because there is one good thing in your life, <laughs> it doesn't make everything else right in every other area of your life. No, it's yeah, that meat's holy. But just because that holy meat touches something else, everything else doesn't become holy. I don't know all that God was teaching them through Haggai, but I think part of this was it was this. We are now being obedient, and we are building the temple of God. And in the midst of that one little area of their life where they were being obedient, I have a feeling there were some other things going on that weren't right, but somehow they rationalized and justified, why, well, I'm going to allow that to happen, because you know what? I am rebuilding the temple, you know. And I think there was a little bit of a spiritual principle here that just because you're doing the right thing in one area of your life, it doesn't make everything else in your life right. Holiness is only transferable one step. And when that meat was placed on the altar, it's taken its one step. Verse 13, he's setting them up. And Haggai said, here's the second question. If one is unclean because of a dead body, touches any of these, and he's referring back to the bread, the stew, the wine, or the oil, or food in verse 12. If that which is unclean, or if a person is unclean because they have touched a dead body, touches any of these Will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. All right. Holiness does not transfer. Other things do not become holy because something that is holy touches them. But (laughs) what the Old Testament law teaches us, if something is unclean, it has an unlimited possibility to make everything it touches unclean hmm and so in the old testament there were certain things that made you unclean you could touch something dead and that's what he refers to here and the old testament law says if you have if you are a, a military man you've been in battle and you've touched a corpse you are you are unclean for 7 days and there's a certain prescribed procedure for you Getting clean. Uh, You came across a dead body. It comes up in the life of Samson. You've touched something that's dead. You become unclean. Um, You could touch a corpse. uh, uh, hmm, I'm thinking of a delicate way to say this. Uh, You could be a woman. In her time. Yes. And the blood makes her unclean. Hmm. Yeah, I was born in 1962. Please remember. Yes. Or if you are a male that has relations with that woman during that time, then you are unclean. I'm serious. You read the book of Leviticus. It's all in there. Yeah. The blood... Will make someone unclean until a set set time, and they go through the procedure of becoming clean. Oh, one of the biggies in the Old Testament was leprosy. Remember what they were—the lepers who had the skin disease were were said they had to yell when people approached them, unclean, unclean, unclean. Why? Because if someone touched the leper then they were unclean ceremonially and they could not go into the temple. Why? Because the priest is there. You cannot bring that which is unclean, unholy, defiled into that place that is holy. It's the place where God dwells. And so the question to the priest is, if someone is unclean because they have touched a dead body, they touch anything else, does that anything else become unclean? And the answer is, that the priest said it shall be unclean it applies to persons you read leviticus and those garments that they wore the dwellings they lived in the utensils they used they all become unclean because they have touched that which is unclean impurity here's the spiritual truth impurity is more contagious than holiness that that's god's standards that's what god is communicating in the Old Testament law and is bore out in this. The holiness does not transfer, but the uncleanness, the unholiness, that which is defiled, transfers um, in a limitless fashion. One thing that is clean does not make another thing... I'm sorry. One thing that is unclean... Wait a second. One thing that is clean does not make another thing clean. I, I read that and I thought, I, don't, I think I typed that out wrong. Suppose you had dirty dishes and you had some dirty pots and you washed one of the pots and it was clean and you took a dirty dish and you put it inside the clean dish. Does that dirty dish become clean? No. Does the clean dish become dirty? Yes. So you already know this principle. Uh, disease is infectious in a way that health is not. Let me illustrate my truth. You can go to the gym where people who are healthy work out and you can hang out there all day long. It does not make you healthy if you're not doing the things that they're doing and eating the food that they're eating. Just because you hang around, I'm sorry, bursting some bubbles this morning. Just because you hang around people that are healthy, it does not make you healthy. But conversely, think about this. If you go to the hospital where people have infectious diseases and you hang out there long enough, you're going to get sick. It's not like because you're healthy you walk around the hospital and everybody becomes well because wellness is infectious. No, disease is infectious. That's that's my best illustrations to what he's talking about here. The spiritual truth that God is communicating to them through Haggai is that there are consequences to disobedience. And if there is one area of your life that is defiled, it will defile every area of your life. So he's kind of made two truths. Don't think because you're doing a good thing that that's going to transfer to every area of your life. No. Holiness does not transfer like that. But also don't think, oh, this one little area of my life is not right, but everything else I'm doing in life is good, and that's okay. No, because one thing that is defiled will defile the whole. Now, I had to say all that to explain what it is that he's talking about. Here's his point, verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people. And so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. God's point was not really about all these religious things. It was about His people and the way they were living And if really the spiritual truth he was bearing out was, quite honestly, you cannot live your life... This, this is where it, what his point was. He was making to them in their day, and then we'll make our point. You, he said, you've you got, you got to understand there are consequences to disobedience, and if you do not rebuild this temple and you isolate and you compartmentalize your life and you say, but you know, we're doing everything else we were supposed to do that God has called us to do, but we're disobedient in this area don't think the rest of it is okay because that one thing defiles the whole. And don't think because you're doing the one thing, good thing, of rebuilding the temple that it makes everything else in your life holy. What's the point? God wants complete devotion. I want every area of your life And in their day and our day, we have the tendency because our thoughts are not His thoughts and our ways are not His ways that we think, but you know what? If I have one area in my life that's not right, it's isolated. It doesn't affect the whole. That's not true according to God's holiness. Or we think, well, you know what? I'm going to church these days. And so that'll just make everything else in my life okay. No, no. Holiness does not transfer that way, but unholiness does. God wanted the people to know in that day that He wanted their complete devotion. He wanted them to rebuild the temple out of obedience to Him. That He wanted their sacrifices to be acceptable to Him. He wanted it all. He wanted their complete devotion. And He concludes with this in verse 15 and following. And now, carefully consider from this day forward. He has served notice that disobedience will will defile everything. Mark this day, the 24th day of the ninth month of the year 520, from before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days, When I called you to do this, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, which is a quantity measurement, there were but 10. You came to a container where there were supposed to be 20 and there were only 10 there. And one came to a wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. That which was supposed to be full was not full we were suffering there was an economic downturn we did not have the basic necessities of life he says in verse 17 i struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all of your labors of your hands yet you did not turn to me god said you have seen with your own lives what happened in the midst of 14 years when you lived in disobedience the basic necessities of life were withheld from you life did not go well not because you weren't doing mostly what God told you to do. There was a point, there was a disobedience of rebuilding the temple that you were, were negligent in, and God said that ruined everything. And therefore I withheld all of this from you to get your attention that you might turn to me. Yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, notice has been served, From the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? I don't have time to prove this point. The answer would have been no. We don't have seed in the barn. As yet, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. You're doing the right thing, but you haven't seen life turn around. God says, mark this day, and here's His promise, but from this day, I will bless you. The implication is, if you understand that I want your complete devotion, and you will give me everything, you will be obedient in every area of your life, he said, mark my words as the sovereign God of this universe. From this day forward, I will bless you if you will give your complete devotion to me. The message for our day is the same as Haggai's day, that God wants our complete devotion. Partial Obedience is not acceptable. God wants all of us. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your might. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six thirty three, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Trust that I will take care of you if you will give me your all. You will be completely devoted that you will come to me in your thoughts and in your ways completely surrendered to me. I thought about this verse. In Psalm 24, verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Man, I don't know. It's like, whoa. Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Who has the right to come into the presence of the holy? The answer of the psalmist in verse 4 He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Your hands are not stained with blood. And it's not just that you're doing the right things, but your heart is pure, completely devoted to God. That's who can come into the presence of God. Hmm. Let me make a, a turn at this point. Let me turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I want you to think for these last two minutes about the gospel that is communicated to us. Hmm. We sit here today on the other side of the cross and the reality is if we have to have clean hands and a pure heart to go into the presence of the Holy One, there's a problem in the room today. None of us are going to be clean enough. The priest is going to be at the back door saying, no, I'm sorry. You can't come into the presence of the holy. Because the reality is, if there was even one sin in our life, it would infect the whole and we're disqualified. <sighs> My. God is setting this precedent of His standards and holiness and clean and unclean in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden in the midst, 500 plus years after that, God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. (laughs) And you know what occurred to me? If you all ever thought, does the preacher ever learn anything new? Occasionally so. I was reading in the gospel of Luke. <laughs> Y'all are gonna believe this. One day there was a leper that cried out to the Son of God. He was supposed to call out unclean, unclean. But this leper who was unclean and everybody's like, Oh, back back, dude, come on, no, nah. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Do you know what the Gospel of Luke records? That Jesus, the Holy One, went to that which was unclean, and it said that he touched him. And you're not going to believe what happened. The unclean man became clean because the Holy One had touched him. And it's it's just kind of like this reverse of the Old Testament that that we're going, no, 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 don't let the, the unclean make me unclean. And Jesus came. And he kind of reversed, except, quite honestly, if you think theologically, which I don't have time for us to trace down. Now, if you put it on the altar, that which is unclean, will be, that which is unholy will become holy. And Jesus touched the leper Jesus should have been ceremonially unclean, but he wasn't because he had the power to make that which was unclean clean. He had the power to transform. Oh, no, 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 no. This gets better. A couple chapters after that, Jesus is walking to the town in Galilee called Nain. There is a funeral procession, there is a dead man being carried the only son of his mother. Anybody that touches the dead man becomes unclean. What did Jesus do? He stops the processional. you got to have some guts to stop a funeral procession. And what does it say? He reached out and he touched the coffin and the dead lived because of the power of Jesus, the Holy One, To make that which was unclean, clean. Jesus should have been made unclean, but he was the Holy One. His holiness transferred and made the unclean clean. Oh, no, no, no. You're not remembering all the stories, are you? And then one day a man by the name of Jairus said, My daughter is sick. I need you to come and heal her. I think this is recorded in all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Do you remember the story? There was a woman. Oh, do you remember? Who had a flow of blood. You remember the story? And Jesus on his way, the Holy One. It's called the miracle. On the way to a miracle. You remember what happened? The woman who was unclean touched the hem of the garment of the Holy One. And the flow of blood was healed. And Jesus turns and said, Who touched me? When we do not have the ability to make ourselves clean... And God set that up in the Old Testament so that we would know His standards and His holiness and the difference between un and unclean and that our hands had to be clean and our hearts had to be pure. In the midst of the gospel is in the midst when we weren't able to do that. The Holy One came. And whether He touches us or we touch Him in faith When we lay our lives on the altar, that which is unclean becomes clean. And that's the gospel, the good news. Wow. I would say to you today, the only hope for our nation, the only hope that I have and you have is in that Holy One, Jesus. This morning I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to be standing here. Byron's going to be standing here. Today we invite you to come to the Holy One who died on the cross and shed His blood that you might be cleansed. God did what we could not do ourselves and He paid for our sins. And this morning we invite you to come to the altar. If you've never taken that step to reach out and touch even the hem of the garment, we ask you to do that today. Some of you in the midst of Vacation Bible School camps and LIT trips and youth camps, you've committed your life to Christ. And Jesus said, confess me before men. And we invite you, if you're youth and you need to make your decision public of what God's done in your life, you can come talk to Byron, take that step of confessing Christ before men and making it known before your church family and then ultimately through baptism. And so, uh, let me pray. Father, today we, uh, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. And Father, we pray that when Jesus comes and touches our hearts, then Father, you would so cleanse us that we would give you our complete devotion. Father, I pray that you would call us to your standards, that our thoughts would be your thoughts and our ways would be your ways and we would adjust and we would adopt. So, Father, we pray that you do a work and I pray that the world would see a difference in us and we would be the salt and light that goes out in a nation that so needs an answer today. Father, you would do what only you can do for your son, Jesus.